This is a more than just podcast production. Alrighty then. Um, welcome to Spotcast Season 4, Episode 26. My name is Tim Mitchell. I'm in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in the comic book cave. In welcome to my cave. I hope everybody got to see my excellent picture on social media. Oh, you will. You'll see it on the if you look at the cover art for this episode. There you go. There you go. Um, and uh, we're also joined by Jaime Lopez Jr., who I don't know how many comic books time he has. He never talks about his massive collection of comic books. So over there in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I don't really have uh, many here. I'd have to rack my brain to think what I have here. I have some in uh, sort of like semi-storage at my uh, my dad's house. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just taking space. I never brought those to Seattle. They're, they're there. And then probably some, you know, digitally from comiXology. Yeah, I think I have some digital comic books as well. But I think I think some of the apps that I used, like, what, didn't Marvel or DC or somebody have an app a while, a while ago? I remember having a Spider-Man issue. I don't know where it's gone, though. It's on my own. Yeah, Marvel and DC both have apps. And, and then comiXology sort of covers all of them. And theoretically, you should be able to share them. But, uh, yeah, it, it is a little yeah. bit of a, um, you have to sort of keep track of your collection in a virtual space, which is kind of weird. Yeah, I'll have to go and find and figure out where my, because I haven't looked at a comic book in a while. I, used to, I don't know, if, did we read them in iBooks? I can't remember how we used to access them, but. I, I mean, through, I I, through any of those apps, they're, they're quite good. The readers are actually really quite good on those. Okay, I'll have to, I'll have to go and find my, because I know I had some comic books early in the iPad, you know, existence kind of thing. Anyway. Are you in your, your cave there, the one we posted a picture of? Yeah, I got a lot of popular response to that one. That was very funny. Yeah. A lot yeah. of a lot of people commenting like, oh my God, I want to live in that room. Like, yeah, <laughs> you can't. My room, get out of here. Yeah, somebody somebody on Facebook, Jaime probably sees their posts on Facebook because he's a friend of mine there. But um, one, of the, one of his friends said, you know, you got more stuff in there than the... Was it the, the Silver Snail? Yeah. Yeah. Silver Snail was, was one of the comic book stores down on Queen Street downtown. Yeah. They've moved, haven't they? Are they gone? Yeah, they moved. They they were obviously they were down on Queen Street initially, and then they moved yeah. up to just north of Young and Dundas Square, and now they've moved back out to Queen Street, but f- uh, further out. So they're like Queen. Yeah, uh, but they were geez. much smaller when they when they moved up to Young Street, right? Uh, Young Street was actually a pretty sizable store. All things we go, they were up on the second floor, over top of like oh, okay. what, Winners or something like that, um, next to the movie theater there. It was actually a decent sized store. The place they're in now is smaller. I was actually I went there because they were having a, a post holiday sale. Uh, I went there maybe three weeks ago, and just popped yeah. in. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty small. Like I, I genuinely think I have more comics between my library and my basement. I think I have more comics here than they do. Genuinely, wow. yeah. Which is it's not what I you mean, want. Uh, ideally, you don't want to keep too much inventory if you're in that business right well it's strange because like snail always had this massive massive um back stock supply but i've gone to a ton of you know different places different stores flea markets all all kinds of places over the years snail used to stamp their books or put like their custom labels on books um on, on the bags that is and i see their inventory everywhere so i think they must have sold off like i think they had warehouses full of stuff i think they must have sold off warehouses full of inventory i don't think they have what they used to i don't think they are the place anymore well what is the place now in toronto Ooh, good question um for back issues boy 
depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for like good quality older books, uh, Paradise is really good. That's up on uh, Young North of um, North of St. Clair, I guess, and North of Eglinton, maybe. Um, for just like massive amounts of back issues, like Comic Warehouse is pretty good. Uh, that's up in um, Brampton. There's a handful of them, but there's no like slam dunk. Like if you're looking for an issue, honestly, the best place for back issues right now is a, is a it's a retail store, but it's also an online place. It's called Captcan, C A P T C A N. Um, they have an app, and they have I think they say they have three hundred thousand books in inventory. Oh. Um, and they basically they individually scan every book they get. They have. Uh, full-time staff dedicated to the web production stuff. They scan everything so you can see exactly what you're buying. It's not just like a, a you know, stock image or anything. And they do two uploads a week. They do one on a Tuesday and one on a Friday. They upload like anywhere from 500 to 2,000, 3,000 books a week. And yeah, you can just basically pick and pay and pay through Apple Pay and have, either have it shipped to you or hold it until you have enough to, to have them send you a box full. And yeah. So do they... Do they... Like, are you buying the, the the issue that you have the picture of, or are you buying an, yeah. an issue of that picture of that ilk? No, you buy the the exact book that you pay for is exactly what you're seeing in the picture. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's it's kind of like an eBay kind of deal, whatever. Yeah, like, or, yeah. yeah. Cool. Which is good. I'll, I've only ever had one book that didn't uh, didn't ca- the scan didn't capture the kind of condition it was in. Usually they're like pretty, almost even better than they look in the scans. I did have one recently where I I saw the scan and I sort of looked at it. And I was like, oh, that's a good price for that book. I'm missing that one. I'll I'll buy it. And I picked up the book and it was in significantly worse condition than I thought. And I sort of sent a note to to the owner and said, you know, I don't want to make a big deal, but I just don't feel like this necessarily reflected the quality of the book. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, you're you're right. The scan didn't show the full damage. And he gave me a refund and told me to keep the book. So well, that's good. Yeah. So and they're great. Like I, I actually I sold the you know that I had those boxes um, on the floor, the all the books and stuff that I was getting rid of. Um, that that's who took them. I sold them uh, two hundred and sixty books, something like that, out of my collection. Yeah. So. Just scratching the surface, folks. For those who are uh, transporting yeah. at home. Well, the, the guy, the the so it's a, a father and son that run the place. The son said to me, "Oh, so are you like you just like getting out of it? Or are you like clearing out your collection?" I said, "Sir, this is like ten percent of my collection." Yeah, he was just really. like, "Oh my god!" I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. "Sorry." Yeah, the foundation of Jonathan's house is on comic book boxes. No. And, and when I finally go, there's going to be a, a bonfire of epic proportions. No, no, no. We're hitting eBay. Xavier no, come just... on. <laughs> no, I'm going to be buried we're gonna in scan, a... We're going to scan 400 a week, and we're going to upload them to a website. We're going to have an app. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's Xavier's plan to a T. I think that's exactly what he's got in mind. Oh, no, we're just going to go to that guy and bring the boxes and say, here you go. Yeah. State um, sale. I... I think you'd do well. I think you'd do yeah, well. No, we, we know we do well. I'm sure Xavier's planning on, on building his his um, his helicopter uh, fleet with your, your comic book collection. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I've told him multiple times that, uh, yeah, to, uh, the will says you can have everything of mine if I go naturally. If you push me off a cliff, you get nothing. <laughs> All right. Don't want to be any ideas, you know? Yeah, what about the wife and the other son there? 
I think that goes for all of them. None of them are allowed to push me off a cliff. have to arm wrestle for it? Yeah, none of them are allowed to push me off a cliff. Thank you very much. Or what is it? They fight to the death? What's what's a traditional um, comic book kind of? Yeah, really. I was going to say for for comic books or Germans? In sort of comic graphic novel world, what what do people do? It's to the Uh, death or something, right? Yeah. Death Death by a thousand paper cuts? I guess, yeah. That, That one, too. All right, so carrying on to fact check, um, I found, I actually sat down and um, spun up the um, uh, Back to the Future 2 to find out the reference that Nicole was talking about last week, and I'm going to read you from the script. It says, Marty McFly says, Doc, what about Jennifer? What about Einstein? We can't just leave them here, meaning leaving them in that in, your, in the middle universe. And Doc Brown says, don't worry, Marty. Assuming we succeed in our mission, this alternative 1985 will be changed to the real 1985, instantaneously transforming around Jennifer and Einie. Jennifer and Einie will be fine. There will be absolutely no memory of this horrible place. So, go figure. Which is not really how that would work. Yeah, no, I get, that's, that's why I've that's always kind of warned. not yeah. quantum mechanics, I don't think, but it's a lovely, quick way of saying we don't have to bring the the dog and the girl who's unconscious on the rest of this adventure. Somebody, yeah, some and pay them salaries and stuff like that. But somebody um, must have thought, you know, by the time that story, I mean, because they must have had all three stories or the, the second and third episode in ready to go and, and had and figured there was a paradox they needed to cover up, right? So, yeah. But it, this it, is it, a cover up, man. In theory, it wouldn't have just changed around them. It would have created a divergent timeline, and she'd have been stuck there, waking up on a random porch. Well, like Marty, when he climbs in the window, and it's some girl's bedroom, not his bedroom, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, lovely notion, but not not, uh, not the case. By the way, that was at one hour, two minutes, and 30 seconds of the movie. So, if you, ever, if you really want to check up on me, there you go. And we'll jump into the headlines. Jonathan's up with... Uh, I almost I almost read this as the boys of summer, which is not the, what this reference is about. But anyway, I mean, if you could sing along, if you'd like, the, boys of summer is baseball, is what that means. It is, yes. Isn't that a song? Isn't that a Tom Cochran song? Or my boy's going to play in the big leagues? No, it's. Uh, I thought it was. I thought that was hockey. He was talking about. No, that's um, uh, boys of summer is a song by Don Henley. Oh, Don Henley. That's right. You're right. All right. Well. I will start with the boys are back in town. The boys are back. The uh, much loved uh, series from Amazon Prime is going to be coming back. We finally have a return date, which is exciting. Uh, I know that uh, I love season two. I think I think uh, you guys also enjoyed that. It's coming back on June the third on Amazon Prime Video. Um, this is, of course, the based on the uh, comic book series. Very popular. Um, it actually got nominated for Emmy Awards this year for for uh, Best Drama, which I thought was really uh, a big accomplishment. Maybe that'll draw a few more eyes to the series for season three. And uh, the fact that, obviously, it's pretty bingeable uh, being just the first two seasons. But, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting back into the world with, uh, you know, Starlight and Homelander. And, uh, yeah, our, our two-star, our two-series two uh, wonder, Jack Quaid, who's the star of The Boys as well as the star of uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. Boimler. Boimler yeah. himself. So yeah, uh, eight episodes cool. is going to be uh, what they do. I don't. It doesn't say here whether or not they're going to. Uh, let's see. Uh, first three episodes are going to drop on June third, followed by one new episode a week until the season finale streams on July the eighth. So again, pretty tight little little 
season for the boys. Season yeah, three. and sadly, you know, our family member Justin hasn't. I don't think he worked on this season. He was working on Lock and Key. He, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And he's he's no longer doing that anymore. So yeah, if you're looking for someone to blow up your set or light it or <laughs> yeah, somebody who's really good with a board. Yeah, we he's, can. He's your guy. We Justin. highly recommend. He's the guy. Yep. Are you guys uh, psyched for season three of? Uh, did you, you uh, Jaime? Did you watch the boys as well? Yeah, I'm all caught up to season two. What did you think of season two? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty nutty. Pretty <laughs> nutty. <laughs> At the whole series is pretty nutty, really. You know. Yeah, it's a nutty series. All right. Uh, next up, speaking of uh, classics, Filmed Scott Toronto. Pilgrim, yeah. one of my favorite uh, films, is coming back, but coming back in a very unusual way. So obviously, Scott Pilgrim versus the World was a uh, really cool movie from uh, a number of years back that was shot here in Toronto, uh, of course, starring Michael Sarah as the titular Scott Pilgrim, based mm-hmm. on the graphic novels by Brian Lee O'Malley. And it was a really cool Edgar Wright movie, and apparently it's going to get a new life. So the uh, anime is coming next. There's going to be an anime version of Scott Pilgrim. And... Cool. I'm not sure how to feel about this. It's a, it is kind of an anime. If you read the series, the style of it, which they do actually incorporate a little bit of Brian's art into the movies, the, the flashback scenes where Ramona is talking about her past and you'll see her as a, as a younger version of herself as a cartoon, that's Brian's art. And it is a little anime ish as as the whole graphic novel series is. So maybe it's a good fit, but it's kind of interesting that that this is going to be something that they're going to develop. So and and I'm not sure where the desire to do this comes from. Maybe it's just another kick at the can. I know I love the movie. I know Tim you love the movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a cult favorite. It certainly did not knock people's socks off in the theater. I think a lot of people discovered it when it moved to streaming and other things. But I don't know where the demand to do this in this form is or whether there is the audience for it, or maybe this will be a better platform for it than the theatrical movie. But, I mean, that theatrical movie was, one, I thought it was great and really, really well done. But also, like, that was a star machine, too. Like, Michael Sarah coming off of, um, you know, Superbad, Arrested Development, that kind of stuff, was was Ascendant. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, um, as Ramona, was, again, on the way up. Mrs. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Kieran Culkin, who is now one of the biggest stars in the world being on Succession, uh, had a real renaissance and is amazing. He's so funny in that movie. Chris Evans, uh, Brie Larson. So you might have heard of the two of them, Captain America and Marvel, respectively. Uh, Anna Kendrick, Brandon Routh, Jason Schwartzman. Like this thing was just packed. Aubrey Plaza. Like there, it is just jam packed with talented stars uh, so yeah if, frankly if you haven't seen it you should but it's it's interesting that the next sort of iteration of this would come in a, in the form of an anime so yeah yeah interesting so a question is it does the does the story in the in the graphic novel does it take place in toronto or just oh yeah it, oh 100 yeah brian was living here when he when he wrote that right okay cool. he's he's since moved down to the states but yeah Hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, in the first issue is a lot of like, it's, it's pretty fairly true to the, to the story of the, 
the movie is fairly true to the story of the books. Obviously, it's not nearly as detailed. It's a six-book series, so it's different in that way. So there's more, obviously, but you know, yeah, follows that where it is, you know, again, the fight scene at Castle Loma, the, you know, them hanging out, walking down past Honest Ed's, browsing through Sonic Boom, all that stuff. That's, you know, that's straight out of the book because that's where mm. Brian was and living and hanging out with all the people in that community. And yeah. Right. Yep. Cool. So but we'll claim it as our own. Hopefully they don't uh, change that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it was kind of a thing. I mean, I wrote a piece when I, I was working at the Toronto Star when the movie came out and the entertainment editor asked me to write a piece for them about um, the books set in Toronto, comic books that were set in Toronto, other comic books that were set in Toronto. And so I wrote a piece basically framed around Scott Pilgrim saying, you know, yes, this is one of the, you know, few things that's actually set in Toronto in the book. It's going to be set in Toronto in the movie what else has been sort of captured in comic books. So I wrote a little summary of maybe like eight or 10 books that I knew of that were also set in Toronto and where Toronto was a featured component from, you know, a two issue arc of Wonder Woman to some Alpha Flight, which is of course a classic uh, comic book set in Canada to um, it's good life. If you don't weaken by Seth, which is a fantastic, uh, beautiful graphic novel that's sort of centered around Toronto and, and sort of uses Toronto as the backdrop. So yeah, it was uh, it, it definitely a, a major part of that story is Toronto being Toronto, and and it's fun to see. For you know, we do kind of feel a little, little forgotten up here, the, the the black sheep of the large cities in North America. We're Chicago and New York. Don't tell anybody, right? So. Well, I mean, don't, don't tell the people of Chicago, but we're, we're a bigger city than Chicago is. So you know. Uh, there's only there's only three cities in North America that are bigger than Canada, uh, bigger than Toronto. Rather, it's it's Mexico City, New York, Los Angeles, and then Toronto. So, it's not it's. I know everyone thinks we're you know south of the border thinks we're a quaint little spot. We're we're actually huge. So, you know we 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 have a lot. Like you should see the igloos as far as the eye can see. Well, I meant what I meant. Yeah, on the hockey sticks and stuff like that. And the but hockey I mean, sticks the, protecting each one. Yeah. Yeah, but what I meant was the. Um, uh, that we stand in for New York and Chicago in a lot of movies. Oh God, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes, for sure. Yeah, the number of times that people are like, you know, oh no, we have to get down to Fifth Avenue. I'm like, you're on Young Street. Yeah, yeah. Take 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 the Ontario government sign down, maybe. <laughs> or the, or they, you know, the you'll drive by, you'll be driving home, and you'll and they'll have put a like a smoke bomb in the in the sewers to make them look like the steam coming out in New York. Yeah, that the the awesome. best one is uh, is the. In the Marvel Universe, the MCU's Incredible Hulk, the one starring um, oh Ed Norton, is there's a huge fight scene at the end of the movie where Abomination and Hulk have this knockdown throwout fight that's supposed to be in New York City, and it is just Young Street. It's just 100 percent Young yeah. Street. It's yeah. no effort is made to make it look like a part of New York City. It's just as clear as crystal is at Young Street. It's very funny. And of course, Castle Loma is the school um, Xavier School in. Um x-men series and yep. the, the very first scene of the when they're talking about the, the how bad the x-men generally are or mutants generally are mm -hmm. and magneto and and uh, xavier meet in professor x meet in the walkway that's roy thompson hall roy thompson hall yep absolutely yep. Mm -hmm. well and the boys i mean the boys is supposed to be set in in some you know other place it, it they're using uh Roy Thompson Hall over and over yeah, the, again. The That's what their headquarters is, yeah. is. The base of it is, yeah. 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 It's a lot shorter in real life than, than it looks like in the boys. 
Yes, definitely that. Cool. Anyway, that's what I got. Over to you, Jaime. Continuing the Canadian theme, the uh, takes place in Canada. I forget where. I don't remember if it's Toronto. Vancouver. Is it Toronto? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the Turning Red animated film from Pixar is uh, apparently not going to theaters, but is instead going to be on Disney Plus. And it looks like regular Disney Plus. It's not a premiere access or anything. Nice. So, effectively free if you already have Disney Plus for, um, let's see, Boba Fett's probably done by then. I don't remember what's out around that time. Yeah, it's 28th, it says here, right? So, cool. Have you guys seen that other movie that uh, the singing one, Enchanto? Enchanto? Encanto? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Encanto mm-hmm. is what it's called? Mm-hmm. No, it looks good. I, it's been on my, I should I should get around to that one. I've seen good reviews of it. Have you Have you watched it while you were folding laundry, honey? <laughs> no, I, I uh, legit watched it, and it's good. I liked it. Cool. All right. One thumb up, folks. All right. What's next? Speaking of, what's his name? Will, Will Smith? Were we? Yeah, so the... We are now. <laughs> the reboot of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air 90s comedy series is apparently on Peacock entitled Bel-Air, and it's a much more dramatic take on this. I believe Will Smith is executive producer or something well it says his uh westbrook studios produced it it's uh it's kind of interesting it's it's very it's very different it's like the the gritty reboot of uh of prince of bel-air did they do like like the the slow rap in west philadelphia born (laughs) and raised it seems more like it's uh gonna be like the wire or something where he's avoiding like gang members and stuff and not just like you know fighting in in the in the streets, but like some serious crime going on that he's avoiding. Yeah. And I think I read something about this. It's supposed to be like, somebody did this as a gag, right? Somebody did a, a sort of a spoof trailer of like what a, what a dramatic version of, of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air could look like. And then it got back to Will Smith. He's like, that's actually a really good idea. And then developed (laughs) it. Nice. Cool. I don't know. I, I liked, it was a fun, fun series. I don't think I watched every single episode. I watched, you know, definitely, you know, a lot of it. Uh, I, I can't say that there's a lot of allure for me. I don't know. Jaime, are you, are you in on this? Or do you, do you feel like this is a, an enticement for people? Like, I, I don't know what the lure is. I guess there's nostalgia, but it's, it's not like it's actually Will Smith. It's not like it's actually a reboot or anything. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. It, it would probably be more interesting if it wasn't on Peacock to be quite untru- uh, honest. Like, there hasn't been much on Peacock for me to, you know, collect that one as part of my set of streaming services that I've had. It was like on HBO Max or Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or something. It would probably be something I would go ahead and watch. I just don't feel like going out of my way. It's not such a crown jewel that I would go seek it out. Like, hmm. you know, like Star Trek has been for Paramount Plus. It might be interesting, though. It might be interesting, though. I mean, I've watched enough of, of Fresh Prince, like just on, you know, waiting for something to happen. It's used, it used to be on in the afternoons, I think. It was in syndication for a long time, right? Oh, I think it still is, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and this is, this is, this obviously has to be where I bring in the Graham Norton reference, as I usually do. Um, there's an episode of Graham Norton, I guess uh, Will Smith, he's on that show a lot. And um, he was inter- being interviewed with his son, Jaden, I think, when mm-hmm. I think Jaden and him did a movie together where Jaden was, was a young teen or played a little kid kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
So the two of them were on, and uh, they asked. Uh, it, I don't know how often you see Will Smith sing, but he decided they decided to do a, a singing thing, and and they pulled out a special guest, and it was Jazzy Jeff. Nice. And they did the Fresh Fresh Prince song, the two of the the two uh, Smith um, father and son, and the whole audience got into it. And then there was an extra special guest. I'm going to put a link in the in the show notes here for the the video that's on YouTube and and Facebook and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I think you know there was some Tom Jones thrown down. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's a hint. Yo, I know I got it. I got it. Okay, all right. Anyway, so so if there's backlash against this uh, this series when it comes out, can we use hashtag against my will? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I find the idea of going from like a, a comedy to a drama to be a you know an unusual twist on something. The that Archies was did it. Considered a classic. I guess. Yeah, it's no. You're right. Absolutely right. I mean, Archie was a, a sort of you Sabrina know. did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. It's fair, but it's, uh, it's unusual. All right, I have uh, one last thing for us, which is uh, came out today that speaking of our friends at good friends at peacock that they've ordered a series reboot and the reboot well this is nbc i suppose nbc has ordered a reboot of quantum leap now quantum leap is, for those not necessarily in the know since it's a 30 year old sci-fi series and wow it hurts a lot to say that quantum <laughs> leap was a uh, popular nbc sci-fi series which is a strange thing to say that well star trek was too well cbs yeah um where dr sam beckett who's played by scott bakula was a scientist who was trapped in this sort of um uh time loop where he had basically been you know his his consciousness had been transferred through time and he kept transferring his consciousness into other people's bodies and other places in time. He was aided by um, Dean Stockwell's um, character. Oh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. That's going to be, that's going to stick in my brain. Oh, Al. That's right. Al. Uh, Dean Stockwell playing Al, who was this uh, sort of hologram of himself sort of transmitting himself back to the past. He would help him on these adventures. And basically each episode the Sam character, Sam Beckett, had to go figure out what he was there to sort of correct a wrong that had happened, fix things, and then he would leap to the next place. And the tagline of the show was, "He'll never, he never knows if the next leap might be the leap that takes him home. The show went on for five years. It was, it was popular, although I think it waned over the course of time. Um, and now, apparently, they're looking at doing a reboot. Um Interesting timing in that uh, Dean Stockwell just passed away in November. Um, he was in his 80s, so I don't think they were highly likely to have pulled him out to do this. But it'll be interesting to see if they can pull this off, if it will work. Cool. All right, and just one little sidebar here, fact-checky kind of real-time follow-up. Um, my reference to Star Trek referred to when it was broadcast on September 8th, 1966 to June 3rd, 1969 on the National Broadcasting Corporation Network, NBC. Oh, there you go. There you go. You're right. I forgot that they were on CBS now, but there you go. Yep. Originally there. 
Which brings us to the reason why we're here, which is start talking about Star Trek stuff. And this time, the stuff we're going to talk about is Prodigy, Star Trek Prodigy, Season 1, Episode 7, First Contact. Not First Contact, First Contact. Anyway, so I'm doing a recap this week. And so we start off with Dal doing a, a captain's log. And a very sort of, sorry, dour, um, you know, presentation talking about how the... The crew is still disturbed by what happened in the last episode, what happened to the previous crew, which I didn't, I kind of missed. Like, it, like it seemed to be a little bit more, more traumatic uh, in the beginning of this show, but I don't remember. Maybe you guys can catch me up. Was there, was there some sort of, I know they would reveal that Chakotay and all that stuff was involved in the last episode, but was there some sort of reveal about what happened to the crew or we don't know what happened to the crew, right? Yeah, I think it's that we don't know what happened to the crew, but I think that was part of the sort of freaky element of it was oh my God, what happened here? The sort of, you know, mm-hmm. what is what does all this mean? Yeah, and of course it bothers holographic Janeway too because she was there too. And there's there's a scene that they keep cutting to and, and she keeps looking at, which is sort of a side story, but it's very, very small and minor in the, in the thing. She's trying to freeze frame and see that there's you know, some bad guys breaking into the bridge. Uh, anyway, the, the kids are playing around. They're, they found a distraction to take their mind off of the, off their troubles and they're basically transporting a piece of pie around the ship. <laughs> um, and, oh, look, it's still hot and it still tastes good And because they, they've discovered the transporter. And they're, they're just intrigued by this whole transporter thing, which we'll come back to in a little bit. But, um, yeah, so they, they decide, well, you know, they decide they've got to try it on a, on a, on a live living, living thing. If the pie survives and it stayed hot, then what else could they do? And, of course, they have to find something indestructible. And we established last week that Murph is relatively indestructible. So they... they Feed him a, a com, com badge, and they decide to to beam him from the transporter room onto the bridge. And they all run into the bridge, and they're trying to find him. And of course, he's he's sliding on the outside of the of the ship on a window. Um, so that they're so apparently the vacuum it. of space is not enough to do in Murph either. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. That's true. He seems to be impervious to that. Anyway, so they do bring him back to the the transporter room, and and uh, meanwhile they get an, they get the incoming distress signal from a ship uh, claiming that they've. This woman there says she's got sick orphans and they're, you know, they they're in, they need help and they need rescuing. And Dal kind of goes, let me guess, they're suffering from the phage? And the person with the hood on says, how did you know that? And, he goes, and then he, because he immediately recognizes the scam as a, fer- a Ferengi that he knows. And so the two of them th- trade insults. And uh, eventually the, the Ferengi lady uh, convinces him, convinces them to come over to her ship and she is, in fact, Damon Nandi, who is who raised Dal as a young pup. So, voiced by Griffin, Gray Griffin as well, just from Arkham. Anyway, uh, they beam over, and uh, sorry, who did you ever voiced by? So, Gray Griffin, according to the the titles. Oh, that's yeah, weird. I looked it up on uh, IMDb, and it said Melissa Villasenor did it. Really? Oh. From Saturday Night Live. Interesting. No, I, I, I rolled back the tape and, and watched the, the thing. Weird. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Mm, that's an interesting. That's a fact check for next week. But yeah, she's, no a, she's a voice actor from Batman and a few other things. Oh, yeah. yeah no, I know her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so they beam over to the, the Ferengi ship. And, and just interesting thing, I forgot the name of the sex doll, but but just very quickly, and this is obviously a... a um, an Easter egg for the for the Star Trek fans. Um, Dal picks up at one of those sex dolls that Picard gets on that planet. What's that thing called? Oh yeah, the Jam- for looking for Jamaharon. Yeah, the, the the icon thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't talk about it. 
And of course, he claims he stole the prodigy to you know to save face with his Ferengi uh, his Ferengi stepmom. I guess we'll call her. Well, because yeah, she uh, says she says, uh, "Oh, you joined the Federation." He says, "No, no, I stole the ship." Yeah, yeah. And then so they uh, so they she says, "I kept your room just the way you left it," and they all crawl underneath the engine because that's apparently where he lived. And there's a Klingon cloaking device in there, and that she, you know she says it it doesn't work because it needs Chimerian and. You know, of course, Rock says, we've got Chimerian and we've got lots of it. And, and of course, you know, uh, Dallas trying to give her the, you know, the, the, cut, the neck cutting gesture to say stop talking kind of thing. And, of course, none of them get it. Um, he's like, who has Chimerian? We don't have any Chimerian. And, and of course, you know, the uh, Ferengi rules of acquisition rule number 20, 208 is, you know, Oh, no, I forget what the reference to this, but she says nothing. Uh, the only thing more dangerous than a question is an answer. Right. So. Um, anyway, so she, she decides that they, they bargain a bit and she decides that she needs to get this particular crystal. She wants, she wants him to do a job for them, for her, right. In trade for the, the cloaking device. And, um, she tells him that she wants to, them go to the, uh, share, system and, uh, to, you know, advanced system, advanced civilization, civilization has never met an alien life. And of course, this is like a first contact situation, right? Um, and uh, they have loads of remolite crystals, which is what she needs. She just needs one. She claims that she she owes some people at the I forget the name of the game that they play the the gambling double dubbo the gambling. She's yeah, lost double. a lot of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she's looking for one of these crystals to pay back her debtors and uh, trade. And so she claims that you know, well, here we can trade them for some with this precious metal uh, object that I've got here. And it turns out it's a Ferengi spit pan. But um, <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, Jane, Hollow Janeway says, we need to talk about first contact and how, you know, you can't do anything in the whole prime directive. You can't like, influence the uh, new society in any way. And, and they, they, for a second there, I thought they were going to get uniforms, but they decided not to use uniforms after all. But it would be kind of funny to see them all in, in Star Trek uniforms. But um, so Dal, uh, Dal kind of wonders about her, her motions and like her motives. And he's kind of doubting. And of course, Zero can sense this in, in, in Dal. Uh, that she knows something's going wrong. But um, anyway, so they, they beam down and uh, they don't really find anybody, but they start to realize that the, the, everything around them is kind of animate and and uh, storming and, and circling them. And uh, they, they determine that these guys are, are uh, the, the aliens are upset by something. And uh, so Gwyn, who is the de facto communications officer says, you know, we should bow and, you know, like, so that she were not, not, uh, um, hostile. And then finally she figures out, well, they must be communicating through uh, harmonics. So she, um, asks everybody to calibrate their trend crike orders and send out a sim, a a calming signal, which they do. And of course everything calms down and, um, they, the sort of sand, builds up and creates this big giant you know um chamber for them to walk into sort of a castle kind of deal and they they go inside and and that's when they meet the the aliens and um they talk about the you know that it's almost like the programmable matter they call it she calls it somatic transformations or acoustic chair molding so um they go inside the thing and and they see the, the crystals hanging from the from the ceilings and they're all starting to light up and uh it looks pretty pretty interesting and they determine that they're they're like, you know, that they're all the crystals are all equally important kind of thing. Right. Um, and each crystal is vibrating at its own frequency. So it's kind of like, you know, they, they determine that they're all part of one big giant voice as it were. 
And uh, so she, so the Ferengi gives them the, the metal plate, and and in return they give her a nice, you know, pleasing song. And you know, the Ferengi's like upset about the fact she just just gets a song, and and then so she grabs one of the crystals and grabs a bunch of them and starts running away. And then the, the crew finds out that that this isn't really a diplomatic exchange as they were as what they were told. It's actually uh, the Ferengi's just after getting one of these crystals, and uh, so she grabs the crystals and runs off, and and. Um, you know, she claims, you know, in her defense that Ferengi rule of acquisition number 28, never place friendship above profit. Um, and then so she runs away and uh, they determine that they, the crew determined they have to get the crystals back. So they start chasing her and, and they're all like, you know, the, the whole environment is going screwy again. And so they're looking, you know, Dallas says, look for an exit. And um, when she finally catches up with with uh, uh, the Ferengi um, Nandi, she she. Uh, tells him rule number one of of Ferengi acquisition is never give back the money if you have once you have it and uh she she reveals in the conversation with him that you know you know i thought the, the being in the mines would have uh, would have changed you and he's like well how did you know i was in the mines i was kidnapped and, you, know, you couldn't possibly know that she goes ah, i sold you to them so he turns out that if he finds out that that uh, she isn't always looking out for his best interests right and she said, "You should be taken. Should have been taking notes, you know." And uh, and uh, she snaps her finger, and and the uh, her Ferengi ship shows up. So he's she's in, she's stolen the Chimera crystals from them from the from the protostar. Pro, pro she's installed them installed the Klingon uh, cloaking device, and she's stolen the crystals to try and get away from them. And um, so at the last second, that while while Dal is in contact with the um, with the crystals, he s- snaps his com badge onto the crystal. And then uh, they all think that they're 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 done and it's over. And um, uh, Janeway is upset with them because they've done irreparable harm and they shouldn't have. You know, they've they've ignored the prime directive and they broke the rules and they broke their trust. And now she's you know she's broken her trust as well. And um, then uh, Dal realizes Dal everybody realizes that he can use the transporter to get the crystal back. So they they rescue back the crystal and they give it back to to the uh, the aliens and and. Um, Everybody lives happily ever after. And then Dal and uh, Gwyn, uh, in trading their stories, realize that, you know, he's been he's been um, used by his, his stepmom, if you want to call her that. And, you know, of course, uh, Gwyn has been, you know, used by her diviner father. And so they they realize that they, they the moral of the story is, and I, you know, I guess I guess we're going to get morals now, is that... Um, they they now know who their f- true friends are. You know they they can't just go with family. They have to go with who their friends are. And as the scene cuts away, we uh, the Ferengi's Nandi's uh, robot assistant uh, tells her that there's a reward for the divine for the uh, for the protostar. So she decides that they should contact the diviner and and give them uh, give up Dal and his crew. And of course she her she says my lobes are tingling as she thinks about the profit involved. Now I want to just one one thing I want to talk about um, is that you know they all claim they don't know anything about transporters and yet Dal was a crew member on the Ferengi ship. Yeah, and he would have used the transporter before. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There, there's a few, there's a few holes in this one. The it's funny we joke about it on a on a somewhat weekly basis the fact that the show is kind of like starter track right it's not it's not yeah, star trek it's yeah. starter track that you are basically being fed 
how the universe works, how thing, who things are, mm-hmm. what things are, so that when you do eventually graduate to more Star Trek, you'll be ready for, for all the concepts. So this one was, how does a transporter work? What's first contact? And how does a comm badge work, right? Because we get yeah. the setup with Murph at the beginning, they give him the comm badge, and then they lock onto him, and they bring him back with the comm badge. So we know that that's going to pay off at the end of the episode, which it does. The transporter, again, well, we transported Murph. Now we know how the transporter works. Okay, now we know we can transport things back. Okay, so they, they basically show you how all that works. There's even a line, like, I think it's maybe two minutes into the episode where Jenkin Pog basically soliloquizes and says, like, oh, it does this, 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 and this. Like, it's literally, like, the, the Cole's notes of how a transporter works. Uh, yeah, it's, this, this episode was a little a little too paint by numbers for my taste. It, it was, this one was, I mean, we talked about it a little bit last week, but this one really felt like starter Trek. It really felt entirely predictable. Very much felt like this one was aimed more for a younger audience. There was nothing in there where I wasn't like, yep. Uh-huh. Yep. 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 Um, not, you know, again, always the voice, voice work is well done. You know, we got a little bit more of the sort of, uh, the mystery, the overarching mystery of, you know, how did the protostar end up way out in the far end of the galaxy? But yeah, this, this was a little bit of a two paint by numbers kids show kind of episode for, for my taste. Yeah, definitely. What do you think, Jaime? I'm a bit intrigued by how this Ferengi ended up in this area like it, i'm still unclear yeah kind of where they're at like did they come closer back to to normal sort of space quadrants or given that dal apparently knows this person um are they still kind of in the delta quadrant is this like there's there's questions here that they kind of get casually ignored in this particular part of the plot yeah well it's funny because they do that the the big thing that they do during that sort of hiatus time they have was they turn on the proto star super engine and it fires them across the galaxy and they say, Oh my God, we've transported so, so far, but they don't say where they ended up. So mm-hmm. right now it is very unclear where they're supposed to be relative to Federation space. And, and I kind of, I mean, you know, we've only been back for two weeks, so there's plenty of time. There's still another, what, three, four episodes to go this season. I, have been just sort of waiting and when i saw that again when you like it wasn't just a random ferengi at the far end of the universe she was flying a ferengi vessel very recognizably so it can't be wildly outside of ferengi space it has to be somewhere in the known universe that we were we're used to from the star trek universe it it just makes me wonder where else they're going to go with this yeah i kind of wonder uh, about that myself and it's kind of a more modern sort of ferengi given that um it was a female ferengi i think and yeah. uh was yeah. clearly into profit and wearing clothes which is something we know that um i can't remember if it was rom or the <laughs> nagus before him who who uh made that societal change so that's yeah. kind of a carryover from a deep space nine plot mm-hmm. yeah well, she had huge earrings on too, right? So, and a voice by a by a lady this time too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely, definitely very sort of typical Ferengi in terms of uh, in terms of that. But I guess you know, from from the point of view, like you know, like Star Lord was raised by you know his his captor slash you know, um, forgot the name of the character, but 
Um, Yondu, the the Ravagers, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of that's sort of a, like you know, for a kid's story, that's kind of creepy, you know. Um, but for a woman to have, you know, being taken, raising and taking care of a young man, young boy, you know, that that doesn't sound quite as creepy, even though we all know it's a Frankie, and, and no surprise that she sold him to the <laughs> to the mines, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a twisted story when you step back from it. Uh, you know, she keeps he's like, "Oh, I missed you," and whatever. And she's like, "Oh, I kept your room the way it was," which again is a weird move when you've like sold a child into slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it wasn't much of a room. I think that was the point too. And then get in there, right? And it's funny how I, I think one of them just sort of says under their breath, "I don't see the resemblance," right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rocket probably. Yeah, it's just an interesting episode. But I mean, you know, like, like I think very, very sort of, you know, like you said, starter Trek aimed aimed at the young crowd, right? Very yeah, it, it just it was kind of a little paint by numbers, which is, uh, yeah, you know, faux show. I mean, they're going to do that. Like we and again, we talk about it every week, but they're going to do that. This is what the show is supposed to be for. So you know, we can't get all bent out of shape and say, oh my god, you know, this isn't how I want it to be you know it, it's not it's not supposed to be on the same par as discovery as picard as you know insert series here it, it's meant to be for a younger audience yeah, definitely cool so we're gonna talk about book of F- boba fett it still follows the same split of the past is kind of dances with wolves kind of uh, mm. a white man with the uh with the natives kind the of white story. Hero, yeah, white. yeah, and then the present day is still the the mafia story kind of. So you know. I was thinking about that sort of thing too, because like the one thing in the in the in the um, back to tank is is whenever he's in the back to tank, he remembers he's having these sort of almost like dream light, remembering what was going on, and maybe maybe sort of seeing an idealized version of of what he lived through. But I mean, it starts off with him in the back to tank, obviously, and he's been. He's traveling, you know, uh, he's on a bantha. He's going to, to, to do a negotiation with the Pikes, I think they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes over there and has a conversation with them. And, and they're like, well, we're not going to do this. And, you know, we're not going to pay the tribute or whatever. And, you know, you can't make us do that kind of thing. And he's, he's a little disappointed by that. And I think on the way back, he he's coming back and he sees that the, uh, you know, he's, he gives them sort of a threat says you know we'll we'll, we'll see how how well you do as you try and cross through our lands and when he on the way back he goes back and he can see like smoke coming from where the village was and or where the settlement was because they're nomadic people and uh, he gets there and, and they're all they've all been you know killed and lit on fire and and he sees a symbol written on one of the, the tent cloths that it indicates that the I forgot the name of the characters the Nikto Nikto gang Nikto's had had you know obviously ravished them and the little kid's dad so he you know builds a pyre and 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 cremates them all and throws the little kid the little kid had a a piece of wood that he was using as his met bantha stick bantha sticks what, what do we call it gaffy stick gaffy stick yeah and uh you know he he puts it into the into the pyre as well and then he kind of heads back and and uh and as as he's you know traveling back to wherever he's going um he's suddenly woken up out of his sleep and and um Karsadan uh, is has um woke, like ripped him out of the back to tank and is beating him up and stuff like that because he's been there to assassinate him or something and so Boba Fett is you know fighting him off as best he can and then you know the the oh I forgot about the kids too right the, yeah he he basically drafts the the ne'er do wells yes yes he drafts the kids he drafts them into being his uh his his new gang 
Yeah, they're sort of the, they're sort of like the mods. Like they've got these floating mod yeah. bikes. Like if you remember from Quadrophenia. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they that, that's the scene I forgot about is he's, he's trying to figure out. Um, oh, he he. Uh, I thought was it this week he talked to the the no it was they, he went to see the mayor and the mayor wouldn't see them and um, no how no yeah this last time he went to see the mayor he spoke with the mayor the mayor basically told him like the huts yeah. are coming and then he has yeah. the showdown with the huts yeah. this time he has the uh, the the person comes to his his building and says like the, the thieves are stealing my water. Oh, it's, the kids are stealing. Yes. Yeah. Stealing so it's Stephen water, Root yeah. actually, that was very funny. Yeah. A little cameo by Stephen Root. And he comes on and says, you know, yeah, these, these near do wells are, are stealing my water. Fett goes into town and basically says, you know, Hey, you guys need to stop stealing this water. And if you know, we go get a job basically. And he, they say, well, there are no jobs. He says, fine, I'll give you a job. And so You're working for me now, he, yeah, yeah. he hires them and then basically pays off, uh, the Stephen Root character to pays him less than way less than what he was asking because I mean but the, then he's the reason apparently why the, gouging them right yeah he's been gouging everybody yeah exactly yeah so anyway so that's how he gets this this gang and and um, these kids and so they help him fight off the curses down actually I think I, I missed the part where the or is, is the the chasing at the very end of the of the episode. You know, the, the uh, it's mayor's, the second last thing I guess. Okay, so anyway, they're fighting Cursestan and and. They kind of defeat Cursantin. him. They actually said it in this episode. Kersantin. Thank God. Yeah, Cursantin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cursantin. Um, anyway, um, yeah, and then uh, at some point the the huts show up, and uh, so he he's you know he goes out and uh, he talks to them, and they're like you know we're leaving. Like this place is like you know you guys can have it. The somebody worse is coming along um, to take over, and uh, you know um, what is it? They, they give him. They give him, um, I forget what he gives them, but they they give him back Kersatan. Kersatan? Kersatan. They um, give him a rancor. They give him a rancor. Oh, mm-hmm. rancor. They give him a rancor. That's right. Yeah, because he's got a rancor now in the, in the thing. And, and um, yeah, there's a whole scene where, they, where he meets the rancor and gets imprinted on it and all that stuff, right? But he frees uh, Kersatan. And I was I was doing some research on, on that character because I know you mentioned he's been in the books. And, and I found an article online that, Sort of explained his relationship, and and apparently Boba Fett and he they were both bounty hunters at one point. In mm-hmm. fact, both worked for Darth Vader at one, in one story. They did, yes. And so they know each other, even yeah. though they don't really. I guess they can't really reveal that. For well, that's why the in the last the episode he makes a dig when he's standing there talking with the two huts. Yeah. In the previous yeah. episode of this week, he yeah. says, "You know, it's not like you know beating a, a Trandoshian when they're sleeping or whatever." That's the reference to a previous experience encounter. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's sort of a very deep Easter egg for you know. Yeah, for comic readers, yeah. <laughs> for comic readers, yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, so I've kind of mixed up the whole, the whole plot line, but uh, they finally decide it. I think so the Huts give him the Rancor, he imprints on the Rancor, and um, so I think there's... He doesn't feed anybody to the Rancor this time, right? But um, no. he does go back to the to meet the mayor, right? And the, um, the guy says, oh, we'll, we'll be back Domo, in a minute. Yeah, it's, it's his hilarious Weasley Majordomo. Yeah, so he kind of he goes in, he locks the door, and the next thing you know, they break into the room, and there's nobody there, and, and they realize he's he's trying to escape. So then, you know, this is the part that was written by George Lucas, because there's, there's a car chase scene where... The, the <laughs> it goes on forever. Major, yeah, Majordomo's, like, in this this car chase scene, and, like, like, do they think Star Wars fans want this stuff? I don't know. <laughs> like, maybe they didn't, they, they need to go back and watch uh, Phantom Menace, but... Um, 
or any other movie with that George Lucas did. But um, the yeah, because I mean, there's this whole you know the kids and their their little mod bikes chasing this this mayor dude or, or mayor's assistant dude. Yeah, and like you said, it went on for way too long. I mean, yeah, super boring. And I forget what happened at the very end. They they end up catching up with him, but I forget what happened. Yeah, he cr- he crashes. They basically say, okay. Now, where's the freaking mayor? And they, oh. he confesses that the mayor has gone to be with the Pikes. Right. And so that ties right. us back to the origin part of the story at the beginning, oh, okay. which yeah, is yeah. the Pikes. Uh, yeah, the, the Pikes are obviously somebody who Fett has had dealings with in the past. And so, yeah, that basically ties, ties together. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, so much of my dream theory. <laughs> what was your dream theory? Well, it's, it's, it just seems to be that whenever he goes in the back to tank, he flashes back, right? You know? Oh yeah, yeah. So is that like, or, you know? So I kind of, and like I sort of said, you know how you always, you, you know, when you have, there's always two sides of the story. There's your side, my side, and the or three sides, I guess, the truth, right? So we're only getting Boba Fett's side of the story, really, because you know mm-hmm. the um, uh, what do they call Tuscan Raiders are all dead, and you know, mm-hmm. but mind you, he's got the the you know the tools and the weapons of them. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, uh, there, there was a lot of stuff in there. Lots of good little Easter eggs, lots of funny sort of bits. The Danny Trejo as the, as the, the, the keeper. rancor keeper was the best thing. I just, right, yeah. I was watching it with Xavier and, and you sort of keep coming. They just sort of pan by him for a second first. And I was like, wait a minute. And then they cut by and you see him walking in and I was like, Oh my God! It's Danny Trejo. <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, "Oh!" And he's like, "So does Danny Trejo just like work in Boba Fett's basement now?" I'm like, "Yeah, I think he totally does. This is awesome." He's the Rancor keeper. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then they talk about how you know the Rancor wasn't necessarily what what we experienced in Return of the Jedi. That Rancors are actually very uh, you know sensitive creatures. That of course they can be trained to be you know these you know behemoth combatants but they're actually mm-hmm. very intelligent and very thing and says you know you know yeah there's there's stories that the the witches of dathomir which uh, for for fans of um clone wars will know who the witches are and um you say that they used to ride them into battle and that's like i want to ride this one which is fantastic if that is not a payoff in this season man i'll be bummed out i want to see a fully fully armored Boba Fett riding into battle on a Rancor. That is the thing I want most mm. in life right now. But uh, yeah, that that whole scene was really interesting. It, it seemed like a bit of, again, a bit, bit long, a bit of a digression, but then you know it's all going to pay off down the road. This, right. this sort of connection right. that he's building with this creature and, and mm-hmm. then that he's going to hopefully ride this sucker into battle against the Pikes or who, whomever else has done him wrong. Um so the 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 black chrysanthemum thing, although it's funny they don't call him black chrysanthemum, they just call him chrysanthemum, which I think is probably for the best. I think we're to the point now where we don't need uh, uh, those those terms like black. You know, we don't need black lightning. We don't need black. Just yes, light. Yeah, okay. Uh, so chrysanthemum. <laughs> uh, it's funny because you know we got the cameo of him sort of standing there looking menacing, sort of sneering at at uh, Boba and Fennec last episode. This one, we get a little bit more where obviously he comes and he attacks. Personally, I'm a little disappointed. I really think if if a Wookiee that size and that vicious catches you in the back to tank, you should just be dead. I, I really yeah. feel like this is yeah. another one of those moments where you're like, you kind of want to take it on credit that obviously they're not going to kill 
you know, the, the protagonist of the show in such a fashion. But in those moments, you have to also use that logic and say, there's, there's just no, if, if, if you're in the back of the tank, you're having a nap, this thing sneaks up on you, reaches in, it should just be able to like crumple your head like a, you know, like a pop can and walk out of the building, you know, like it shouldn't devolve into this huge fight scene and everything anyways. But a pretty good fight scene between, you know, Fett and then Fennec joins in and then the the mods join in. And then it's this sort of six on one fight that leads to the throne room that leads to the Rancor pit. And and then they have the whole exchange where they're like, yeah, we're going to, you know, uh, give Kersantan back to to the. Oh, that's right. They drop him in, in the Rancor pit. That's how they catch her. Catch yeah. Her. And then they're right. like, OK, fine. So then they're going to march him back into town and uh they you know the 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 huts show up they give him the rancor as a tribute he offers to give chrysanthemum back to them they're like well, we don't want him and so they just sort of let him go and he sort of wanders off into the desert i hope that that pays off down the road with you know uh, perhaps chrysanthemum returning although it feels kind of like that was it i feel i feel like maybe that was kind of all they were going to do with chrysanthemum i don't know what else the, like they they do leave on good terms, you know, Boba basically says like, you know, you were just, you paid to do a job. I get it. You know, no hard feelings, which is, you know, obviously again, shows that difference between him and, and Jabba, but to have Kersantan sort of appear, look tough for a cameo in the first part and then come back, have this one fight scene and then just be like run off into the desert is like, it's a little disappointing. I kind of wanted more. But then same thing with the huts, the whole sort of hut story. I'm like, oh, we're coming here. And the big mystery now is they're saying like, well, somebody else has laid claim to this. Who else has laid claim to this? And so it sounds like it's the Pikes, the Pike Syndicate, because they, they, the huts leave saying another syndicate has laid claim to this territory. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. out of here. We're not here for a war. We're leaving. And they don't actually say it's the the Pikes, but then they go into town to check in with the mayor. The ma- mayor is gone. The major domo leads them on that that ridiculously long car chase scene, and then he confesses, "Yeah, he, he's gone to be with the Pikes. The Pikes are a syndicate. They're the spice smuggling syndicate." So I think we're supposed to see that all this is coming back around to the the Pikes versus Boba and his gang as it sort of pays forward. I did think it was kind of a weird, again, just just such a stereotypical trope. And it's funny because this show has been kind of idiosyncratic. It's not just, it's using archetypes, but it's not using stereotypes. The whole, you know, white savior, although, you know, obviously tomorrow Morrison's not white, but just the, the idea of the, you know, the other comes in, the indigenous people adopt him, show him their ways. And then they... You know, he leaves, they're slaughtered, he comes back, they're gone. He, you know, has this as motivation for moving forward. I feel like that's just a little bit of a worn piece of of territory as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it does kind of, it kind of diminishes this whole first two episodes. It kind of just sort of resets everything back to, oh, he's on his own again. He's got these new skills. He's kind of learned new ways. But, you know, now he's this sort of different type of thing. But all those relationships, all the like, it just—it's just kind of a weird to have done all this. Like, you know, he's learned from these people and everything else, and to have them just completely wiped out is just kind of a little anticlimactic. I don't know. Yeah, and where does he get this whole sort of like I'm 
I'm a benevolent leader sort of thing. I mean, like, you know, he was pretty badass in, in Empire Strikes Back, you know? Yeah, and I guess the whole idea is that, you know, in coming out of the Sarlacc and surviving that and then surviving and becoming part of the, the ways of, this, of the, the Sand People, I guess we're supposed to say that he's been reborn, that this is the new him. That's a redemption, yeah. You know, and, and we see that even when he appears first in The Mandalorian, he sort of, you know, obviously he kicks ass, but he's he's just a different, he seems much more sort of, um, you know, in control mm-hmm. and sort of has a new lease on life. And he says explicitly in this series a couple of times, you know, I'm not a bounty hunter anymore. Although wanting to be the daimyo, to be the crime boss that controls the area is also a strange move. If you're like, well, I don't want to be a bounty hunter anymore. That's that's not right. But what I'm going to do is be the crime lord who people have to pay off in order to to live here. Yeah, is, for, for protection, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of not exactly the most noble move. Uh, so it does still sort of, it's sort of strange and skirting. The one thing that that I'm kind of curious to see how this continues to play out is... So the only other series that we've really seen the crime world of Star Wars explored, and we saw it, obviously, in Clone Wars. We've seen a little bit of it in Bad Batch. We've seen a little bit of it in in Rebels. Uh, But the only movie, live-action thing, that really sort of gets into the crime world uh, beyond a little bit of Jabba the Hutt is in Solo. Mm -hmm. And in Solo, the sort of big payoff is that you know han solo the love of his life before princess leia is is kira right and amelia clark of course the game of thrones famous actress plays kira in that i can't help but keep wondering if there isn't a payoff somewhere in here where we tie back into the black sun syndicate into the crime world into into the world that kira lives in in this era too right hmm because they just keep talking about like the crime syndicates in the world and stuff like that. Like we know that there's a relationship between the Pikes and the and Black Sun. Like I wonder if this is all going to come back around. Maul in this era. Spoiler, 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 spoilers. Five, four, three, two, one. Maul is dead at this point. Um, so there's no uh, there's no chance we're going to see Maul show up. Mm-hmm. But Kira is still on the table as sort of head of a huge crime syndicate kind of a twist where it could go. She could be, you know, uh, a, a really great sort of uh, nemesis for for Fett, controlling the larger crime world, you know, making life hard for him. I, I think it'd be interesting. I, I don't know if it's going to come to pass, but that was where my brain started going the other day when they were talking about, like, because it went from, like, oh, the huts are here. Oh, the huts are scared. Okay, the huts are scared. Why are the huts scared? Okay, well, the pikes are coming. Is it the pikes? Is it, like, who's controlling the pikes? So... I, I just can't help but think that this is all leading towards a bigger reveal. Well, the part I forgot about the Pikes was, was when he goes to negotiate with them and says, you pay me protection and I'll make sure you have safe passage. And they're like, why should we pay you protection? We're already paying somebody else protection. Well, they're already paying the Nikto gang, right? And, yeah, then, yeah. and then so now he's come back home, found that the Nikto gang has clearly killed all of his uh, yeah, his, his folks, people. Yeah. So yeah. now the next episode, the, the flashback scene has to be him wiping out the Nikto gang. Hmm. And then I don't know where it goes after that. I don't know if this whole... What I'm saying, though, is the Pikes don't seem to be by themselves, you know, like they're, like you said, they're they're controlling something. Oh, yeah. If they're paying off somebody to protect them. Yeah. Sort of deal, right? Yeah. Jaime, any conspiracy theories? Any any moments that jumped out at you? How was your dinner? 
Yeah. <laughs> Dinner was good. The the episode was was fine. I um I am curious as to where they're going to go. What are we about halfway through the series? Do we say it was 7 or 8 episodes? Yeah, 7, sure. yeah. Yeah, yep. so, so we're, we're already halfway, yeah. Yeah, and when he took the 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 gang of of teenagers and made them part of his gang. I thought for sure he was going to make the Wookiee part of his gang too. Of like, hey, why don't you work for me now? Since that would have been amazing. Out. I I yeah. would have highly endorsed that. Yeah. So I mean, I guess they kind of leave it open that maybe he could still come back and do that. Um, yeah. But we'll uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. I guess. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, having read a number of the the comic series and continuing to read a number of the Star Wars comic series, Chrysanthemum isn't just an ass like just an absolute monster he's not uh, you know it's funny because you know I've, I've seen a couple things out online this week saying uh, well chrysanthemum he owes him a debt and he'll come back i'm listen unless they su- suddenly and and you know fundamentally change this character he's not coming back to do a nice thing for fed he's off to his next thing like at one point he kind of uh turns his back on darth vader like they just you know like there's not <laughs> there's not a lot of honor in black uh Chrysanthem. he's he's kind of a he's genuinely a monster so it'll be interesting to see if they try and sort of um redeem him in some way or, or make make sort of some sort of pathological need to to repay Fett for sparing his life or something because that's that's not who he is in the books I'll tell you but I'm loving it I love it this, this is I I was really kind of cool on the first episode it felt it was too short and it wasn't really it didn't give me enough but combining that with the sort of stuff we built on the second episode and then uh, a little more in the sort of quote-unquote present and a little less in the past in this episode, which is a flip to how they've done the first two episodes. I, I enjoyed that. I, I'm enjoying the now a little more than the past. I understand why we're doing the past and why it's fundamental to understanding the character, but, I, but I'm but i definitely enjoying the where we are in the same time period that Mandalorian happens, same time period that Ahsoka happens. Now we've got this. So we're going to have, like at some point, three or four series that are sort of happening in a concurrent timeline, which will hopefully lead to some sort of uh, Netflix Defenders-esque kind of crossover series between all these things or something. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely am enjoying the now more than the then. And this is five years past Return of the Jedi. Is that yes. where we're where we are? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did like the part in the past where he takes this the swoop into town, and he's going to go talk to the Pikes about collecting his dough, and he drives past people putting stormtrooper heads up on pikes, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Huh? How yeah, about that?" Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, he just has the moment of. Like, are those pike pikes like those? Is that where the pike reference comes from? Uh, no, pike is uh, is uh, is different. But no, it's. Um, I think the idea is just that he's unaware. He's he's disconnected. Like he's out in the outer rim. He's in Tatooine. He doesn't really. He's been out in the in the desert with the Tuscans. He doesn't really know that in the same time frame after he got out of the Sarlacc and then he's been out in the desert with them and recovering and everything else, all, the Empire fell during that period. That's when the right, Emperor yeah. died. That's when Fe- uh, Vader died. Death Star yeah. 2 blows up. And the galaxy kind of turns against, as much as it can, against the... The, the empire the empire yeah so yeah. that is where we're starting to see the bleed through of even uh, even as far out as tatooine the locals were like listen you've got no leg to stand on and they clearly you know dispatched the local garrison of stormtroopers and are putting their 
helmets up on Pike saying, if you're a former stormtrooper, you might want to think twice about trying to come back here and reestablishing your order. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, let's move on to our watch list then. And um, you're up first, I guess. Me? Yes. This week we got our first trailer for Human Resources. Human Resources is a uh, long, known-to-be-coming spin-off series based on Big Mouth from Netflix. And it's based on the creatures that are showing up. The hormone monsters, the... Uh, the, the Oh, God, I can't even remember them all. The snakes, the, the shame wizard, all the different creatures that show up and and uh, torment the and help the children in Big Mouth. They all come from this sort of central location, which we actually have seen a couple of times. We've gotten glimpses into the world of them. And it's, you know, it's again, it's, it's, it's kind of an office comedy situation. And so now they're doing an entire spin-off series based on like what it's like to be in that office space. They're going to do an off a workplace comedy basically set in that world with all these characters and what they do in their downtime and and you know how they relate to each other and everything else. So, yeah, first trailer went up this week. It's coming on March 18th, so not too far away, a couple months. And uh yeah, for fans of of uh Big Mouth, I think this is going to be a a real cool a uh, little add-on to that universe because um, cool. the, the humor hopefully will, will carry over. Obviously, it's a little less focused on the identifiable kid characters, but uh, hopefully the, the filthiness and hilariousness will continue. Cool. Um, the other thing I threw on here was, yes, the Eternals. Uh, so the Eternals came yesterday to Disney+. Plus. Uh, Jaime, I don't know if you've already jumped on that one or if you're saving it for the weekend. I have not seen it yet. I probably am going to wait for um, for the weekend. Yeah, um, I I don't know that I will watch it immediately. Like in the next couple of days, I have a few other mm-hmm. things I'd like to get through. But I do think it's probably worth a second watch just to sort of validate my initial thoughts and sort of give it that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm I'm curious to see it another time and sort of see how it holds up and see if my memories of it are are you know, uh, where I indeed feel about it. So, yeah, that's definitely on a, on a to-do. I was thinking about, we had talked about when will uh, Spider-Man No Way Home show up on streaming. And that's kind of why I put Eternals here. I wanted to sort of springboard off of that too. So the challenge is, is that because No Way Home is a Sony product, technically, mm. not a Disney product. It's not going to Disney Plus. So, therefore, the 45-day rule, which would have brought it out in early February, does not apply. It really is its own thing. And where Sony Pictures is putting its products is Netflix. So, if you want to watch the mm. the Sony Sony Spider-Man movies, all of them, which includes, you know, the animated Miles Morales movie and other things, those are all on Netflix. So I suspect, and I may be wrong, but I suspect where we will see it eventually is on Netflix, not on Disney+. And as to when it's going to appear, I'm not sure, given the fact that it is not beholden to those rules that Disney has set up for itself. I still think we're likely to see it probably in late February or March. Although I've seen unsubstantiated rumors online and take it with a grain of salt because that's exactly what it is, that it's coming to on demand and to um, home video. So DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, whatever at the end of February. 
uh, No Way Home is. So if that's the case there, does it come out onto a streaming service immediately thereafter? Do they give it a chance to sell for a bit before they move it onto there? Is it not going to come till then April or May? Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is it could be a while before you have a chance to watch on the streaming service, which leads me to, hey, Jaime, would you purchase a digital copy or a physical copy of No Way Home to watch it if it was available much sooner than you anticipate it being available on the streaming service? Mm, I suppose it depends on how much more in advance. Like, if I had to wait another, let's say, three months, I probably would not. Um, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I did watch Black Widow, so I guess if it was that, I might do that. Um, if it was six months, I think certainly three months is a little harder to figure out. Mm. But again, now that I think about it, I did do Black Widow, so maybe I would. Are you... So I guess I'd like an update, too. How spoiled or unspoiled have you been about the events that transpired in No Way Home now that it's been out in the public for six weeks-ish or so? relatively unspoiled i think for no way home and still somehow relatively unspoiled for eternal so i think i'll be okay for those mm. well, that's good i'm glad for you i'm again i genuinely mm -hmm. i i have been worried for you because eternals there's not massive spoilers there's a couple of scenes where you're like oh okay but no way home definitely has you know there's some stuff that obviously you can put two and two together and get four from watching the trailers or you know whatever else but there are certainly some twists in there that uh, that are more challenging to see coming and i was worried very much that uh, between social platforms and blogs and reddit and everything else that uh, that, that stuff would leak out so yeah i'm, gl I'm glad that you still are, are hopefully going to be able to go into that stuff clean so it's uh, it's still a surprise and an enjoyable experience but yeah boy it's they don't make it easy on you, do they? No. no. So for me, the um, I just sat and watched the first 20 minutes of The Eternals, because if you remember the story back from the summer, um, I didn't get into the theater until 20 minutes into the oh, that's film. Right. That's right. And so I was going to... So I sat down and watched the first 20 minutes. It does reveal a bit more of the sort of how we get from point A to point B, where the movie starts, it proper. Um but to be honest with you, it doesn't really help. <laughs> you know, it does establish the the um, Jon Snow um, and uh, Emma from or Gemma from um, or humans, uh, humans yeah. uh, relationship. You know, so because they have a relationship that that turns up at the end, and you find out what what happens here, and then uh, I forgot the name of the, the little tiny character, Sprite. Uh, Sprite, yes, of course, Sprite. Duh. Um, yeah. So they. So that. And you know the, a little bit of the the reason why um, um, what's his name the John Snow's older brother uh, <laughs> oh yeah uh, Richard Madsen yeah yes. Richard, Richard Madsen character like why where he is and yeah. a bit confusing with some of the some of the flashes like it, it, you know it starts off way back in the past and it bounces forward to starts in Mesopotamia and then it comes forward to now and then it goes back to you know 500 BC or something like that or 500 AD or whatever. BC must be BC, and um, and they introduce some of the other characters, and then then you know it's, it it bounces around a lot this mm -hmm. movie, mm -hmm. um, and but yeah it doesn't help. I mean it's it's like you know as a from a, my my own criticism about it, and I'm not going to spell it too much for Jaime is that that it's 
they're introducing this brand new group of characters to an audience that has no frame of reference to them, right? Mm. Um, and it's I don't know if it's really that explained that well. I mean, yeah, they've got these really cool powers. What? You know, like, mm. you know, and the dude who's like inventing the plow and, you know, the other things that... Yeah. Um, you know, like you like are they trying to say that they were responsible for that? And then of course, you know, point blank Jon Snow says, How come you didn't help um with Thanos? <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah. I'll leave that I'll leave that on the table for you guys. But yeah, so I so it was interesting to watch I mean, so let's put it this way. I watched the first twenty minutes of the movie, I've seen the last I've seen everything beyond there and I, maybe it's fresh in my mind or, or it wasn't, you know, a earth shattering movie that I really want to go back and watch it again. But yeah, I just kind of went, Oh, this is where I, where I came in and just stopped watching it. So mm. I might go back and finish it. Who knows? Yeah. But you know, I'm in the middle of trying to finish, you know, daredevil and watching other things that are, are more interesting to me than, than this is right now. So how, uh, how are you enjoying daredevil? Good. I just watched the first episode of season three, mm. um, which is kind of, you haven't watched any of that yet, right? So Did you watch Defenders? I have not watched Defenders yet. Are you so, supposed to watch Defenders in between? Yeah. So season one and season two sort of work uh, cohesively somewhat. Although, again, mm-hmm. the, the whole Netflix thing works better if you watch like all the Netflix series in the order which they came because they, they do kind oh, of okay. piggyback well, each other. That, yeah. But uh, season three very much piggybacks off of what happened. Like Daredevil is kind of the central character of Yeah, because there's, 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 there's a big conflagration that apparently just happened and, and I don't know anything about it. Yeah, and, so that is what happens in Defenders. So okay. you don't well, have I know to what happened there because they spoiled it for me by telling me what happened in the end of... But yeah, so and yeah. and am I if you want to watch the Punisher too or what? Uh, no, you don't have to watch Punisher. I mean, you okay. you should. It's really good. I've, I, I'm yes, I enjoyed season one of the Punisher very much, but okay. more so than I thought I would. Um, but in order to get a satisfying ending to the Electra Daredevil story from season two of okay. yeah, Daredevil, you should watch. Yeah. So you, you might want to stop where you are on season three and just watch. It's only like it's five or six episodes. Uh, okay. For for defenders, it's not the greatest crossover of all time. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's not the best. I mean, do I need to watch Luke Cage and Iron Fist? <laughs> you, and... you don't have to. You okay. you could certainly pick up enough of the characters. Again, it's it's probably more satisfying if you know more about those characters because they all kind of okay. all of their story arcs kind of build towards that. But really, okay. if you're just watching it just from a simply a Daredevil perspective, mm-hmm. you'll still get what you need out of it because it really it is the bow on the Electra and and mm. Matt Murdock story okay yeah okay. before you jump into season three because season three really deals with the ramifications of yeah yeah of yeah that. I get that yeah okay, okay. yeah because it because it because there is kind of a there's an ending in season two that's just kind of climactic and then there's a there's like a gap and it's like because where it comes in, I it, it, clearly I missed something, and I wasn't sure if I'm supposed to have missed something or whatever. But yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, makes sense. Clear as mud. <laughs> yes. So over to Jaime and his pick, and then we'll come back to mine. Yeah, mine um, is parkmyspaceship.com, and there's a little article here that explains that the the original Death Star is the same size of the Olympic Peninsula, which is close to where I live. It's very close to Seattle. Hmm. Okay. And uh, looking at some fun stuff, because I was thinking, all right, what are the size of some of these things? So uh, the Galaxy Class Enterprise D is roughly the same length as 
the distance from Safeco Field, the, the, the very south end of it, and the other end, there's a bit of a gap here, but the other end is the north end of CenturyLink, or sorry, Lumen Field, where the Seahawks play. So where the Seattle Mariners play and the Seattle Seahawks play and the Seattle Sanders play, um, I have a pretty good intimate feel for how big that is. So it's kind of nice to see relative to landmarks that I know how big the Galaxy Class Enterprise D would be. And then you can do things, you know, like I'm not familiar with Toronto, so I can't speak to it. But, you know, pick something like uh, Deep Space Nine and try to compare it to your your fair city area. For mm-hmm. me, Deep Space Nine is roughly the size of our Green Lake. So I kind of have an idea of how long it would take me to walk around uh, the promenade. Um, or sorry, the, the habitat ring on the outside. Yeah, I think I think there's a fun. You know, I we, I was laughing. Uh, I I was re-listening to last week's episode to to do some fact check, and I was laughing hysterically. My, one of my favorite things is when Jaime measures things in Canada's. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking about about that. We'll have to start uh, figuring out like landmark equivalents for for hypothetical space vehicles, like. Uh, we have to base them on like sort of nationally known landmarks though. Like compare, uh, you know, the Galactica from Battlestar Galactica to the Empire State Building compare the, you have know, you like, not seen that video that's on, on, I have, um, I have, it's just, yeah, but yeah. again, those compare them to each other. They don't compare them to, oh, there's the Eiffel Tower in there. Oh, is there? Like okay. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, uh, I think that's a, a fun way of, of measuring like, you know, how many Godzilla's fit in the, you know different well, things kind of yeah, yeah like yeah fun fun measurement uh stuff but yeah yeah, yeah so I, I think we should measure things in 10 bits actually <laughs> well that's for volume we do that for volume how many 10 bits fit yeah. in a coffee cup right yeah or how many 10 bits fit in the school bus yeah exactly. <laughs> so i don't have a good sense of anything around toronto so i'm still using deep space nine i decided to choose mississauga and i think i'm looking at like the airport or something uh, that's yeah that's where the toronto international airport's actually in mississauga oh there you go okay Toronto's Pearson its own airport, airport it? but it's teeny tiny. Yeah, it's, it's Lester Pearson Airport, yeah. He was one of our prime ministers. Prime minister's like a president, only, you know, less important. And a pushover when it comes to, like, you know, abandoning your um, your, your supersonic jets. Yeah, yeah, that. Was that Diefenbaker or was that Pearson? I, ooh, I think it was Diefenbaker. Pearson versus Eisenhower, right? Yeah. And somewhere See, in the you know that, we lost Do you know about the Avro Arrow, Jaime? Have you ever heard of that? No, I don't think I have. So Canada in the 50s, late 50s, built a supersonic fly-by-wire computer-controlled jet plane, and they had orders from France, and they were trying to sell them to the Americans, and and, um, for some reason, all of a sudden, they just scrapped the whole program. They built five of them, and they, they basically, four of them were destroyed, and one of them is missing, so they don't know where it is. Some people say it's in the bottom of the lake, and some people say... Well, that's where the models went, yeah. Yeah, well, they destroyed most of them and threw them in in the in the lake and stuff. There's actually been when one there's one in um, Hamilton Airport that's been rebuilt uh, or built from from the plans and stuff like that. But it was a huge huge deal. And apparently, the story is that when the uh, Eisenhower was saying, "Well, you know, we can put our nuclear warheads in northern Canada and point them at the United States, but I mean, point them at the USSR." But if you don't get rid of the Avro Arrow, we're going to put them along the border of the United States, and they might accidentally land in Canada. <laughs> so, yeah, there was there was some. Uh, they claim that there, there's all kinds of conspiracies, and I, mean, I know there's plots been written and stories have been written about you know what happened to the missing CF-105 and all that kind of stuff. But 
yeah, yeah. check it out yeah it's a pretty uh, they've they've done like you know uh tv movies and stuff about the, the story of the arrow avro it's a pretty uh uh famous canadian starring dan Aykroyd. starring dan Aykroyd. Yeah. you're right yeah noted canadian Mm-hmm. yeah so check that out so my my pick this week is it wasn't really a pick i just sort of i watched like i said i watched a bit of the eternals i'm watching some some daredevil a few other things on tv probably something i'm forgetting oh i have the i have the app i can look that up but i want today i watched or yet today and yesterday i watched uh predestination which i kind of stumbled across um on netflix it's an older movie from 2014 starring ethan hawk um it's a very sort of strange, timey-wimey story, and it's based on a Heinlein novel, and so I'm used to, I, I, I like Heinlein's writing, so I wanted to watch this and see if, if I could get a, the gist of it. it. It is very similar to the kind of stories that Heinlein wrote, um, and I'm not going to go too much into it, but it, it, there's, there's a paradox in, in the movie, and, and you're, trying to, you're trying to sort of figure it out, and it does... Like as Jonathan says, it it, it uh, what's the word you say progress or progress or telegraphs or oh yeah yeah foreshadows for sure foreshadow yeah definitely definitely I don't know if you've seen the movie but Jonathan but it it does sort of it is very easy to figure out what where the plot's going mm, like mm-hmm. I find you know yeah um yeah and you know even even the big reveal at the end you're like yeah I saw that coming like a half an hour ago mm. so maybe I've been hanging around with you too long but <laughs> sorry um, is it. it Interesting movie from a timey-wimey kind of point of view, but uh, yeah, it's sort of... Um, actually, I guess the, the last little reveal was was a bit... Uh, they did catch me by surprise, but they didn't... They, the whole sort of how it unravels didn't really sort of surprise me, but but it's it's an, a decent movie. It's not, you know... I think it's probably like a grade B sci-fi flick, but uh, definitely worth watching. Mm-hmm. If you're on Netflix, I mean, you're not paying anything for it other than, you know, some time. So it's not... It's, not, uh, it's definitely a good two-hour romp, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's it for me. And I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, hi, me. If people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at DevaTheHair. And Jonathan, people want to get in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPKNews. All right. My name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. 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 See you in the future. <laughs> You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Howdy and Bowdy. Yeah. Anyway. Tim, was surprised your go. pick wasn't the uh, NFT. Yeah. Oh, really. the NFT. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about the NFT. We can talk about it now. So, yeah, we were, we were talking yesterday on uh, More Than Just Code with, with Mark, and he was going on about NFTs. And 
telling us about how he'd created one and you know they were they were profiting like Ferengis with them so <laughs> I figured you know what the hell so I went on to the site he was talking about and and poked around a bit I have some bitcoin so I I decided to you know just I mean the, my bitcoin is pretty much found money because I got in not super early but I got in early about three or four years ago when we talked about it on the other podcast and you know I invested like 50 bucks just to see what what would happen and it's you know increased itself 10 times so i don't mind spending a few bit of that found money on this technology but yeah so i, I posted up the it took the holographic uh, uh start start a spot cast logo and uh, made it turned it into an nft and put it up on on the site and i also took our mtjc logo so i'm just trying to figure out how to how to you know turn it into an actual one that people can buy and that kind of stuff so it's kind of cool Oh, who knows? Well, and, and as an artist, I'm curious about it because, you know, people are talking about creating original artwork and turning them into NFTs. And I'm not going to get paid for my paintings while I'm alive. I might as well get paid for some NFTs. Right? <laughs> it's one way to go at it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And maybe I can maybe you can uh, profit by helping other artists do the same thing. And, you know, following the rules of acquisition, of course. Right. Yeah, really. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Bob. So are you intending to watch all of the Netflix Marvel shows or are you just sticking to Daredevil? Uh I've well I've I've already finished off um the um Jessica Jones, right? Oh okay. Um yeah, so and I and I didn't watch the Defender thing. I think it was between two and three as well, right? But yep. um uh so I, I did intend to watch Defenders at some point. I don't know if I'm gonna go I I I, I'm not. Don't think I see any reason to see Iron Fist, and I might. I might watch Luke Cage, but yeah, Iron yeah. Fist season. I mean, Iron Fist is not. It's not great, but there's enough there. Season one is is a bit weak. Season two definitely is an improvement because it actually. It's funny because it it actually turns the focus more towards one of the supporting characters, who yeah, is you were saying more interesting than him. Um, yeah, I mean, you you do not have to watch it. It's it's certainly it's it, it fills in some puzzle pieces, but it's not the end of the world if you miss out on that one. But uh, Luke Cage is actually pretty strong. Like the season one villain for for uh, Luke Cage is Mahershala Ali, uh, who is you know an Oscar winning, uh, tremendously talented mm -hmm. actor. So. I mean, he kind of blows the screen away when you're watching that first season. You're just like, oh, my God. Like, I, don't, I don't know that I had seen too much with him before I had seen that because that came out, whatever, five years ago, six years ago. Um, I just remember being like, who is this guy? Like, he is amazing. So he's worth the price of admission uh, on his own. And then Alfred Woodard plays the sort of uh, the, the secondary villain in season one and, and the main villain in season two. And she's, again, quite, quite captivating. Uh, you know, very nuanced, very, very, very well, um, well done character as well. So yeah, I would say Luke Cage is definitely mm -hmm. worth a watch. And Punisher again, I was, you know, Punisher is a major part, obviously, of season two of the of the Daredevil series. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about a series just focused on that because it was very dark, grim, violent, you know, the whole thing, but. It was far, far more enjoyable the first season than I than I thought it would be, and, and season two is actually something I'm going to watch starting probably this weekend. Mm. Um, so I would say yes, that is that's definitely worth a watch as well. So um, yeah, I'd say in the end, like there's there's value in watching all of it, but I'd say if you're going to drop anything, Iron Fist would be the first one to drop. Yeah, cool. But right. yeah, Defenders Defenders is worth it just for the the sort of satisfactory conclusion to that Matt Murdock Electra. Um, story it does kind of wrap up overlapping events between Iron Fist, uh, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and Daredevil. The first two seasons, or first 
first season of a couple of those and then second season of a couple of those. So it, it does kind of bring those all together. But if you just go in as a Daredevil fan, you'll and you, you've already watched Jessica Jones, you already know that you'll certainly get enough of it. And it, it really it does kind of center on on Matt and his story and then wrapping up the Electra story, because that really is kind of over with when you get into season three and you kind of need to know where that went. Cool. Separately, I happened to log into HBO Max because you guys asked. Um, looks like Peacemaker dropped three episodes. Yeah, looks like they come out at uh, on Wednesdays. Looks like the first three episodes are forty six minutes, forty minutes, and thirty nine minutes. Do you know how many how many they're doing in a season? Or no, I should look that up. Peacemaker. No, it's not three. Good job, Google. How many, how many will they have? <laughs> that's how many they Eight have episodes. now. Eight episodes is what the Hollywood Reporter said, so that's probably yeah. about right. Yeah, so, so you couldn't possibly get through it in the time that you uh, plan to subscribe unless you add on another month. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, uh, so it, it, it did pop up on Crave here, which is sort of our HBO side equivalent. And um, so... They also just put up Suicide, the Suicide Squad, the James Gunn version, last month. So I was thinking, oh, that's good. I can actually sit down one of these days and watch Suicide Squad, and then from there I can piggyback into to Peacemaker. So that's that's kind of a nice plus for for us. Uh, obviously, you got that through HBO previously, anyways, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, put that on my to do list. It never gets shorter that to do list. No, it's growing, mm-hmm. and growing, and growing. Yeah. It's a thing. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.